Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 37. Leroy Dennison illustrates how we can value others. A shout out to listeners from Kazakhstan and Ukraine. With that, let's get started. About 16 years ago, when I lived in Sarasota, Florida, I was a member of the Tampa Bay chapter of ISPI, International Society for Performance Improvement. While in the chapter, I met Leroy Dennison, who at the time worked for Apple Incorporated as a senior manager. Before Apple, Leroy served in the U.S. Coast Guard for about 22 years. Now in retirement, Leroy volunteers his time to protecting, preserving, and supporting the Alfaya River State Park. Leroy is the president and secretary of Friends of Alfaya Incorporated, which is a nonprofit that's dedicated to protecting the environment while providing resource-based recreational opportunities for the public. So if for some reason you happen to be in the Tampa Bay area of Florida, check out the state park. Part one, first impressions. Part of leadership is to encourage others to grow mentally and morally, which includes helping others socialize to your work environment and being able to interact and build relationships with your peers and colleagues. You do this in part by modeling the behavior, but also by providing some guidance to those around you. Leroy shares something that someone said that has had a lasting impact in how he behaves in work and even personal situations. Here's Leroy to explain. The thing that someone said to me that, that really had an impact on my life, I think it was probably my mom who told me, she said, you never get a second chance to make a good first impression. Yeah. The time that it, it, it really dawned on me how important it was to make a good first impression, I'm an Eagle Scout. But when I was a life scout and I was working towards Eagle, there are merit badges that you have to complete and other things that you have to do in order to become an Eagle Scout. Well, one of the merit badges is citizenship in the community. And my scoutmaster assigned me the task of meeting and interviewing the mayor. Oh. When I, I went in to talk to the mayor, you know, I was wearing my uniform and I was AJ squared away. But when I knocked on the door and he said, come in, when when I opened the door, when I walked in, I made eye contact with him, walked right up. I was smiling, looked him in the eye, shook his hand and thanked him for taking time out of his busy day to talk to me. I think if I just had not been in the proper uniform and had been kind of looking down and been shy and bashful, our talk probably would not have gone as well as it did. As I got older and I started dealing with people who were senior to me in the organization, regardless of whether it was my time in the Coast Guard or my postcard career or, or people junior to me, I, I really tried to keep in mind you get one chance to make a good first impression because if you make a poor impression, you really have to work hard to turn that around. And just human nature, they're going to have an idea about you probably within about 10 seconds of meeting you. Yeah. Of whether you're a good person, a smart person, uh, whatever. If being neat, organized, whatever the expectation is, what it takes to make a good first impression, 
the payoff is considerable if it's somebody you're going to be dealing with for some period of time moving forward in your, your life or your career. Yeah, and it could be anyone. Someone just joins a team, making a first impression like that, a customer with a new boss, you name it. Yeah, a new neighbor, somebody who's moved into your neighborhood. It doesn't have to be a work situation. It could be a life situation. Even to this day, I don't like to make a bad impression on people. Not initially. Now, if I decide that I don't like them, (laughs) I'm not going to be dealing with them. I may show them uh, what, what I really think of them at some point in time. But initially, I like to be as upbeat as I can and as polite as I can when meeting people. It sounds like you've helped people along the way. You mentioned people junior to you with keeping that on their forethought when they do meet people. In my my Coast Guard career, I ended up 10 of my last 12 years, I was at the Coast Guard Training Center in Yorktown, and I ended up as the school chief. I was the person running the school, and when we had a class graduate, people were going from E3 to E4 in the Coast Guard. They, They were picking up a specialty, and the significance of being an E4 in the Coast Guard, that's where the delegation of law enforcement authority can go down as low as an E4. An E3, they can't be a boarding officer. They don't have law enforcement authority. For people who were successfully completed the course, we had to also make a determination about whether they displayed the petty officer potential Hmm. enough to warrant the advancement. We had a few people that actually had some issues they had to deal with, and we decided to hold back that advancement to E4. They left as a marine science technician, but they were still in E3. But I always told people that at the graduation ceremony at the end, I had some guest speaker that would come in, but my part as a school chief, I reminded everybody, you've got one chance to make a good first impression when you report into your new unit and make sure your shoes are shined, your uniform's perfect, and be expected to answer a question about you as a person, because whoever you go in and meet and they introduce you ultimately to the commanding officer of the unit, that CO is going to ask you something about you as an individual. Be prepared. Part two, valuing others. There are many ways to show that you value other people, which is one of the themes that occurs on this podcast. For example, in episode 27, Robin Orr explained how people in the firm that where she worked, architectural firm, they treated you as if you were the most important person in the room when you're talking to them. To her, She felt valued by the other person. Leroy shares with us a story from his days in the U.S. Coast Guard about how someone showed how he valued other people in the organization. Here's Leroy. Back to my life in the Coast Guard at the Coast Guard Training Center in Yorktown, Virginia. It's the largest training center in the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard is small uh, altogether right now, even today. There's like 43,000 active duty officer and enlisted people in the entire Coast Guard. New York City's got a bigger police department. So the Coast Guard has a very effective training organization. The objective of the training, uh, whether it's uh, advanced training for someone who's been doing their job for a long time or junior people who are coming in that are picking up a, a specialty, it's job performance. There's no compliance training. There's no HR training. It's how to do something. It's job task analysis driven. So the commanding officer at the base, 
we had about 600 military personnel, about 400 civilians in the organization. All the military people that are there, for the most part, the ones involved in training, they're handpicked. They're there because they're extremely good at what they do. They have other attributes that would probably transition into being a very effective instructor. Mm. Coast Guard, like other branches of the military, has decided that subject matter experts make the best instructors for how to do something technical. It's easier to teach somebody how to be an effective instructor than it is to take an instructor and try and teach them a little bit about the topic that they're talking about. Yeah. So anyway, the commanding officer there, he was an 06, that's a captain in the Coast Guard or the Navy, or it'd be a full colonel in the Army, Air Force, and Marine Corps. The morning that I advanced to E-9, which is high as you can go enlisted, he knew enough about my schedule to know that I'd be in at the office at six o'clock in the morning. About one after six, my phone rang and it was Captain Pluta who ended up retiring as an admiral, by the way. He was congratulating me on my advancement, asked me a question about my wife. We shot the breeze for a few minutes and hung up. I was impressed that the guy, he was personable enough to you know, call me up and tell me, you've done good. And I'm recognizing that. Sure. I got along with the man extremely well anyway. It didn't really surprise me, but the fact that he got up in the morning at, at six o'clock when he didn't have to be at work until eight, just to call me, I thought, man, that's pretty cool. Well, that day at lunch, training center, we shut down for an hour and a half so people could take care of wellness. They could go out and run, ride a bicycle. We had intramural volleyball league. A young guy that was on my team, talking to him, Found out he advanced it from E2 to E3 that day. The next phone call that Captain Pluta made was to him and knew that this kid who's like 19 years old was in at work at five after six and called him up and congratulated him for his advancement. And then he asked him a question about his girlfriend who had recently broken an arm or a leg or something. That personal aspect of this young man's life and ask him a question about it. That really impressed me that he reached out to people to make that personal connection, saying, Here, he's the top dog in the organization. And if you're an E2 at the training center, he was about as junior as you can get. We didn't have any E1s. Mm. For him to call this kid up and and tell him congratulations and then ask him, How's Kathy? You know, it was like when I found out he did that. That impressed me more than the fact that he called me. Yeah, that really says something about how someone in his position, a commanding officer, values the people that report up to him. There's a principle, a leadership principle called connect with others. And this is just an incredible way of building trust, just having someone just really appreciate and feel valued in an organization. Yeah. He was one of the best commanding officers I had in my 22 years in the Coast Guard. He was, at the time, the Coast Guard was embracing total quality management, Deming's quality action team uh, things, continuous process improvement. And he was a firm believer that the people in the best position to fix a process that isn't as effective as it could be are those involved in the process not the people further up in the chain of command saying, you got to do better. We had several QATs, quality action teams, where people were selected to be on it based upon what they did, not how much money they got paid, not how senior they were, what was their job. 
we selected people to be on a QAT based on those who could identify the low-hanging fruit, fix this right here, and then take another measurement and see how much better it is, and then go do this second step. Captain Pluto was really good about turning things over to QATs, not interfering, and when the, the team reported out, he would implement their suggestions. No questions asked. He would try it. And the, the thing about the QATs and total quality management when the Coast Guard w- was doing this is you don't make a whole bunch of changes to a process. You make one change. You measure. Was it effective? If it was not, you undo that change. If it was, great. Okay, now let's, let's implement the next recommendation. So it was the incremental make one change, do a measurement or things better. If they are, continue. It was gratifying to to have someone in charge that took that attitude. He trusted his people. There's something to be said about someone in a management position recognizing that the people doing the work know the work the best, rather than make assumptions or try to impose a belief about what the work is like, really relying on the people doing the work to be part of a QAT. Yeah. And that makes sense. The military, just like, or not unlike large corporations, those at the senior level, you know, C-level, they don't really know what's going on down at the, where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And people who are reporting up the chain of command, they're very good about reporting stuff that's good, (laughs) but they're real, they're real hesitant to report problems. So quite often, the higher up you get in the chain of command, People are oblivious to problems that are really easy to change. It's a policy change. If there's a requirement to do stuff, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Step two involves one person. And if that person is out or sick or or whatever, everything stops. It's kind of like the the barge in the Suez Canal. You know, if you got something plugging up the works, you need to fix that. But oftentimes people at the top of the pyramid, they don't know what's plugging up the works. I think that's a good example of what you just described. And there's an organization in which you have, a, especially with a strong chain of command, the good stories, like you're saying, tend to float up. And the trouble, they tend to stay with the people that have to do the work. So that makes a lot of sense. And I can appreciate the captain's trust in the employee and not employees, but in subordinates. Yeah, subordinates. (laughs) Part three, life happens. A few years ago, I was consulting at a large financial organization. And when I was over there, I walked into the HR department where I was doing some work and found the mood quite different than what it usually was. I asked someone, what's going on? They told me it's annual performance review time. And I asked around, I said, do any of you enjoy performance reviews? They all said no. Well, the annual performance review process may not be a pleasant experience, but you can make it a better experience with the people who report to you. And not only can you make it a more positive experience, you can make it a fairer experience. Leroy shares an example of how you can make the process fairer for employees. Here's Leroy. One of my 
things that I did when I was in the Coast Guard and also when I was at Apple as a, a senior manager in charge of a, a pretty good sized team at Apple that was geographically dispersed. We had people all over the country that, that reported to me. I told them that it's up to them to keep me appraised of everything that they have done really good. I'll probably be aware of it, but they need to not toot their own horn, but make sure I'm aware of, of what they've done well. I said, because annual performance appraisal time, believe me, I am fully aware of things that you have not done well. <laughs> That's but, a good point. So if you got a little T diagram with pluses and minuses, any minus, you need to offset that with a whole bunch of pluses. And we just need to have a dialogue ongoing. If there is an issue that I have with your performance, I'll let you know what it is. It's not going to be a surprise at the end of the valuation period where I'm going to just ding you with a poor valuation. My job as, a, as your manager is to help you grow. My job is to also make sure that we achieve the goals that, that we've been tasked with. So that, that's one point. The, the second point is you really need to realize that people have a life outside of work. Yeah. At times, their life can have some downturns that can affect their performance, and you need to cut them some slack. I have always been it, as rigid as I need to be, but try to be as personable as I should be to get the most out of my people. Because my job is to accomplish whatever we've been tasked with, but secondarily is to grow the people under me so they can take over at some point so they can one day be in my job even doing it better than me. I need to, just like going back to Captain Pluta, knowing that the young guy advanced from E2 to E3, I need to be aware of what's going on in their life, whether they're married or getting divorced or have had a death in the family or some kind of medical issue, because that can impact how productive they can be. And you can, without having a detailed conversation about it, you can take some stuff off of somebody's plate until they bounce back. Just let them know you're aware that they've got something going on. And when things get better, to please let you know so you can start loading them back up with more work. It just goes to show that you cannot separate or compartmentalize your personal from your professional because one affects the other. Organizations and people like you who recognize that really can make a difference in someone's life by keeping that in account. Yep. I think another thing that's probably different about somebody in the military versus in a, a corporate environment, people in the military move around. So one of the things about leading effectively when you get transferred in somewhere where all of a sudden you're in charge of a bunch of people who don't know you from Adam, I think it's better to start off tight, somewhat rigid, and then ease up. That's a lot easier than be loosey-goosey and then have to start tightening up when people aren't doing what they need to be doing. And another thing is don't come in and say what the previous person had in place, I'm throwing it all out. <laughs> Study what's going on. Don't just say, we're going to do it my way. Look at how it's been operating before you walked in the door. Don't just willy-nilly make changes just to put your mark on things because people are resentful. If you come in and tell them, hey, I don't care if you've been doing it this way for three years, we're changing. Unless you can explain to them why with, with the data, 
and say, look, there's a better way that we can do this. I, I'd like to try this change and see if it isn't better. And I'll ask you for your opinion. Do you think it's better after we try this one little change? If you do one or two of those and people go, hmm, this guy's got his act together. He, he analyzes what's going on. He talks to us about what he wants to change. After he implements the change, he asks us, what do we think? Is it better now than it was before? That's a good way to lead more effectively is get input from your people. The two things there is that when you do go into a new environment, a new company, or you're moved to a different area, recognizing that the environment is different. Sure, there's going to be stuff that's the same for our people, but to really get to know the culture and the environment, you have to pay attention. I like that. And I like getting feedback for changes that you're making, because when you communicate that you want feedback, people will be more open to give it to you. Yeah, definitely. I guess the exception would be if you had been brought in to clean up something that's just totally screwed up. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's true. <laughs> There's a time and a place to just come in and draw the line and say, we're not going to do this anymore. I don't care whether you agree with that or not, but hopefully you're not going to be thrust into one of those situations too often. Yeah, more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Thank you, Leroy Dennison. If you'd like to learn more about Leroy, go to the show notes. If you have a comment or question, go to unlabelleadership.com, click the message icon, and you can leave a voicemail up to one minute. Maybe I'll play it on the air. Thanks to those who have donated to the show. Your donations help with the production cost. But most importantly, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, lead on.